house of the Lord, which is made up of His children. And if you're visiting with us, we're just thrilled that you are here. It's so good to be with family members. You may have family members visiting you to look forward to a day of feasting around the table and just reliving great memories and old times together. Uh, So we are just feeling really blessed today to have the health to be able to be here. And all I can say regarding Mike Boomis' meditation is, wow, that is the heart. God bless you, Mike, and God uses all things to his glory. And so very, very touching. I also want to just take just a brief moment to say thank you to the volunteers, each and every one of you, and especially Norbert and Doreen Dill, for putting on the best (laughs) breakfast. They just get better every time. No sleeping, because today I'll call you out on it. But Norbert, that potato baked, oh my. We know all the work. Thank you. Thank you. So today, as we celebrate the empty tomb, our risen king, the resurrection, we celebrate the hope of eternal life. And we're going to do that in part eight of the Simply Thankful Sermon Series, where we have been stressing now for two months that each and every one of us that know the Lord in a saving way should be grateful for all that He has done. And today is that day of we celebrate what we're most grateful for. Today we are simply thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to us. And what I want to do is begin to talk to you about sometimes we all need a good reminder. I used to think that uh, people needed more reminders as they got older. Sort of the joke in the office is that Laura and myself, we forget things and have to remind each other. And we think, well, is it our memories or is there just so much? And we always attribute it to there's just so much. A couple of weeks ago in staff meeting, Matthew was sharing something about his youngest daughter. And he was trying to name her. And he forgot her name. And Laura and I are like, hallelujah. (laughs) So we didn't know if it was maybe the multitasking, but Matthew saved us. On my way home, sometimes Dee will say, could you stop and get me this or get me that? Yeah, and grab me something at McDonald's. McDonald's is about two miles from my house. I can't tell you the number of times she's just called me and I pull into our house and never stop at McDonald's only to turn around and go back. It just seems like we can be so forgetful today. Today I want to remind you of something that is crucial in your life as believers. And I want you to take it to heart because the Apostle Paul 
talks to brothers and sisters in the Lord, Christians, believers, and says, I need to remind you of something. Because sometimes we just forget. And whenever we forget, we forget how grateful we should be. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. The gospel is the good news. And good news comes in many forms throughout the Old and New Testament. But gospel... Good news has a specific, narrow meaning here for the believer. And Paul will define and identify what he means by gospel in this text. But he opens up reminding them of this gospel that he preached all of Paul's life until he was beheaded all of his life. He preached the gospel after his conversion on that road to Damascus where the Lord divinely intervened and stopped Saul in his tracks, blinding him for three days until God revealed himself most fully and Saul became the Apostle Paul and began to preach the gospel that he tried to destroy. That's an amazing, sudden, divine intervention in the life of the Apostle Paul that was so life-changing that he went from one extreme to the other. I remind you today that Paul preached the good news and reminded the brothers and sisters of that good news And he tells them this. You have received this good news. You have willingly and freely taken this good news into yourself. You see the word which you received. And whenever you receive this good news gospel teaching. Paul said you have taken your stand on it. You've taken your stand. And I think that we need to be reminded because we do become lukewarm, apathetic, narrow-minded, maybe even blind at times, that the gospel that he preached is the gospel that was preached to us. It is the gospel that we received as individuals. And it is the gospel that we have taken our stand on. I want to remind you, if you're His, that you have taken a stand. You have swore an allegiance. You have set yourself apart. You have dedicated yourself to Him. Stand literally means to be lifted up. It's very 
close to the word resurrected. Resurrected means to stand up. And here it appears that Paul is playing a a, a game with words a little bit when he says, you are standing on this gospel. You are standing on this good news. I remind you this Easter morning, my brothers and sisters, like Paul did so many years ago, you made a voice, and that was to receive Him, to have the hope of all that He offers, and to encourage you, to compel you, to urge you, to plead with you, to remain standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be unmoved, to be anchored, to be unwavering in your stance in this world. People try to move you off that position. The cross of Christ is foolishness. This can't be true. It's a fairy tale. It's a nice platitude. It's made up. No, it's not. We made the decision as believers to stand on the cornerstone, the rock, the foundation stone, and to live our lives. Are you still standing strong and steady and resolute on the gospel? Take your stand. By this gospel what? You are saved. There are a lot of things in this world that people offer as a way of salvation. But Paul, speaking from the Lord, says the gospel that he is preaching is the gospel that brings salvation to the soul. And nothing can replace it. There's no substitute for it. It is a gift that's come down from God. It is a gift that God planned to give to His people. It is a free gift there at His offering as God draws us to the cross with Jesus on it and His arms outstretched as He's nailed there. That's what John says. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to Myself. God has called you and drawn you to Himself through the sacrifice and the surrender of Jesus Christ. And on the cross, atonement was paid for once and for all. And there is no other means of salvation. To die without standing on the gospel means doom. To die without a relationship with Jesus Christ and being cleansed by His blood means eternal lostness. This is serious, serious thing that Paul talks about. And that's why he reminds in such a powerful and strong way. He says, hold firmly. Some versions, hold fast. In other words, when you take that stand, don't 
waver. Don't drift away. Don't fall away from it. Stand there strong in the mighty work of the Lord in your life. Where else can you go? Look at this world that we live in. What does it really have to offer? If you get the best of everything, at some point the body starts to fail, the mind starts to fail, and the things that you have that you love, they mean nothing. But standing firm and clinging to and binding oneself to the Lord is what it is all about. And that's our part in relationship to God. He has placed us in His hands. And nothing can take us from His hands. But we bind ourselves to that hand. We stay resolute and hold unswervingly to the God that loved us so much that He would give His one and only unique Son. He gave His Son, Jesus, you just as if you were the only person in the world. He died for you specifically. And praise God, He died to provide atonement for each and every one who would receive and believe and take their stand on this good news. It's good news for those who trust. It's good news for those who believe. It's good news for those who surrender. So stand firm. Stand firm in that salvation. And standing firm will allow you to stand firm with your family. It will allow you to stand firm with your spouse. It will allow you to stand firm in this world that we live in. But wander from it. Move away from it. And everything begins to fall apart. Because when one begins to build their life on the sand and the storm and troubles come, there's a mighty collapse in that person's life. By this gospel, you are saved. If, if, can you read that with me? Do you see it? Am I missing it? If. If what? If you hold firmly to the Word. That is the Word in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, that Paul says, This Word that I gave to you wasn't man-made. It came to you from God and you received it as though it was the words of God. If you hold firmly to the Word, I proclaim to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Otherwise, it was for nothing. There is a call in our lives to dedicate and set ourselves apart to the Lord in the realm of sanctification. He has given salvation to us freely, but in the realm of sanctification, living a life of holiness, we strive and we struggle and we battle each and every day of our lives. And the battle for many of us is different, but it's always a battle against the devil, his schemes, the devil, the evil one, who wants to separate us from the love of our God. 
Oh, this is Paul's reminder, and it's a strong and powerful reminder. So I plead with you, hold fast, hold firmly, stand, stand strong. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Now here he defines the gospel. For what I received, he received it from Jesus Christ. He did not receive it from any man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He received it from Jesus Christ himself. And it was a message that was passed on to other believers, and it was a message of first importance. Listen, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we have different views on, different beliefs about. That's just the way it is. There's so much, and we all have different skills, different learning abilities, different schooling, different spiritual insights, and And it's important, but it doesn't really matter one way or the other what you feel about certain things. It's just where you are with the Lord and the belief. But here, when it comes to the gospel, it matters. It matters. It matters what you believe. And that is the message of first importance that Christ died for our sins. And then he adds, according to the scriptures according to God's word through the prophets. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Here Paul refers to the scriptures two times. This is the evidence coming out of God's word that what is of first importance in your life and my life as believers is the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus And that is what is most important. I might have my views to share with you. And you might have your views to share with me. And we may never agree on a lot of things. But this here, we must agree on. We must be in one spirit about. Because unless a person takes the stand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, and that he resurrected... And that's where we stand. That's what we believe. That's what we proclaim. That's what we preach. That's what is our message of identity and first importance. And now the evidence within Scripture. And he appeared first to Peter or Cephas. And then to the twelve. Often Jesus is referred to as appearing to the twelve. And you go, well, there's only eleven there. Sometimes there was ten there. Well, the twelve is sort of a figure of that represented that group. He appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Eyewitness, eyewitness, eyewitness. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I want to repeat something that I told the church that was here for the Good Friday service that I think is very important and insightful. This word, though some have fallen asleep. This word, asleep, looks at the life in many ways that we see when we read about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, who presented to his Jewish brothers that Christ lived, died, was buried, and resurrected from the grave. 
And at the end of that chapter, they gnashed their teeth. They were so angry, covered their ears, led him out and stoned him. And Stephen said, Father, forgive them. Just like Jesus, they don't know what they're doing. And then he fell asleep. Asleep. The word asleep is always and only ever used in reference to the believer. When a believer dies, they fall asleep in the Lord. It's never used of an unbeliever. What a beautiful picture of the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel, talking about the 500 brothers and sisters, saying that most of them are alive, though some have fallen asleep, well, they fell asleep in the Lord. They are in the presence of God. That is a good thing. When you leave this life to fall asleep, to be carried to God's side by the holy angels, that is a good peaceful, truthful reality. And although we grieve those that go before us because we don't like that fleshly separation from the people we love, we know that because He lives, we will live. Because He lives, they live. When the people you love die in the Lord, die in the faith, they fall asleep in the precious sight of the Lord. And that's why the psalmist tells us precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh, I am simply thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am simply thankful for the resurrection of Jesus and all the promise that it gives for me and the people around me, my family, those that I love and for his church. Then he appeared to James. This is Jesus' brother. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. A really strange expression in the strange Greek word. Most scholars simply think what Paul is communicating is that his conversion experience on that road to Damascus was a sudden experience and a short three days as the Lord spoke to his heart and his life. The other disciples, they had three years with Jesus. But Paul's time was short. It was sudden, but it was dramatic, and it was powerful, and it was just as life-changing. So, are you standing on the gospel? Are you standing in the death, burial, and resurrection? Does your life, your belief, the way that you received it, reflect it? I pray that it does. Because people will try to move you off of that. Religious people will try to move you away from that simple first importance message. We see it all the time in the Church of America. We see it here in the early church where after the free gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ that could not be earned, that was never deserved, 
but it's simply a free gift that many accepted and then religious people started tinkering with it. Well, you have to do this and you have to do that. Well, if you believe this, you're not really His. And if you've not done that, you're not really His. I want you to always remember, wherever the Lord takes you in this life, young or old, if you've taken your stand on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've done what is right and good. And don't listen to anybody else try to cast doubt. Look what Paul says. I just love the language. He says, I am astonished, perplexed, that you are so quickly, what? Deserting. Well, what's the word desert mean? It is to abandon. It is to leave. It is to turn your back upon. I'm astonished and perplexed that after you've taken your stand and you've received the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've believed that now you find yourself turning and deserting what you once held so strongly in your life. And you're deserting not only the gospel, but the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. And in the book of Galatians, the big issue is circumcision. You've got to be circumcised for God's approval. That was the Jewish sect. Paul says, I'm a Jew. A Jew of Jews. Raised under the great teachings of Gamaliel. Nobody is quite like me when it comes to the flesh. And I'm telling the Galatian churches that what these brothers are doing and are saying is evil. It's not just wrong. It's evil. It is ungodly. It is satanic. Oh, Paul, preach your boldness. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert it. Change it. Distract. Lead people astray. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you fill your mind with. I don't care if they're dressed in suits and ties. It doesn't matter if they're on TV. It doesn't matter the title they have before their name or the degree that they have of education. Be careful who you are listening to and be wise enough and love the Word of God deeply enough that when someone starts to say, well, this is what you have to do to be saved, and you're not doing these things, so you're not His, that you can take your stand in confidence and go, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. He is the unique Son. There's no other like Him. And that His gospel is He lived, died, resurrected, and appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. That's my belief of first importance. Get away from me. Get away from me. 
I don't need all your superstitious, made-up stuff. This is what I understand because it comes from the Word of God and is a thus saith the Lord. Parents, if you don't stand in this truth, what's going to happen to your children? What if your grandchildren don't have your example? That mom and dad may struggle. They may argue and they may fight. And things may be tough. But mom and dad are governed in life by this single belief of who Jesus is and what He has done. And they're saved. And I heard that message all of my life. That's what your grandkids need to hear. Oh, Easter holds a lot of worldly stuff, the Easter bunny and eggs and all that fun stuff. That's okay. But Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And your children and your grandchildren need to know that, not just because you say it, because they look at you and watch you live your life and they see your sacrifice in holding fast to that gospel message and truth. Don't let anybody sway you. That's what Paul's argument was. But he gets even more bold. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse, His anathema, death. It is a curse to preach a gospel other than what God has given to Paul, the apostle. Let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. And now I say it again, he's doubling down. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be accursed by God. Because whenever a different gospel is preached, and someone responds to something that's no gospel at all and no power for salvation, they think they're secure and they go on with their life thinking they're doing all the right things and that they have salvation, and they're lost. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved rather than the name of Jesus Christ. It's a bold statement, I know. But only the Christian faith offers the grace of true salvation. Every other religion I proudly and boldly proclaim to you this morning is false and without salvation. Only through the Christian faith that comes to the good news gospel takes the stand and stands there and is faithful as they can be until the day they close their eyes in death. That is the gospel that Paul is preaching. That is the gospel that Paul is defending. That is the gospel that he is reminding the church family to cling to and not let go of because of eternal consequences. And so he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? Or of God? Or am I trying to please people? 
If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, I know Paul. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to be liked. He wanted people to care about him. Don't we all really want people to like us? And I think most of us, if we have a right mind, say yes. But in the big picture, if my telling you that Christ is the only answer of salvation offends you, then so be it. Because I would rather please God with my life than please you. And I hope you feel the very same way about your Lord, that you would rather please Him than please God. I read a message last week that talked about preachers today Many are afraid to preach on the very sensitive issues because they don't want to offend their congregations. It's true. I've got preacher friends. Oh, if I preach that. Oh, they won't let me teach that in my Sunday school class with the youth. No, no. Can't even go there. Us preachers better be more worried about offending God than offending man. And us believers who are all servants and proclaimers of the truth better be more worried about offending God than offending man. Use your life to preach the gospel. Use your Facebook page to preach the gospel. Share your family pictures. But use every possible avenue to share the gospel with whoever God may guide and direct to read something of faith. Then he says in verse 9, I'm least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. How, how fitting with what Mike said about his dad. I knew his dad. I, I got to visit with his dad at some Christmas Eve services. Uh, it is a great thing to see the Spirit of God at work changing a hard heart and making it soft. And Paul is relaying that same sentiment. This is what I was. I don't deserve what God has given me, but I am what I am because of the grace of God. And His grace changed my life. It just wasn't given to me and it didn't leave me the same. It changed me. So I worked harder, sanctification, than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. God's grace is what changes you. It is His touch in your life is what changes you to work. You don't work and you don't serve because people are going to say, thank you for what you've done. Oh, that was so nice. We couldn't do it without you. That's the way a lot of people serve the Lord. Give me some recognition. Give me some thanks. You do it. Whatever it is that God has gifted you with, you do it. And know it's only His grace working in you. It's not you at all. So, 
whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. There it is. That's our message. We preached it, you believed it, and you've taken your stand. Oh, this morning, I remind you of your gospel stand. And if you've slipped away, please move back. Recommit. Reset. Hang on so tightly. Because, because of the life that's simply thankful for Jesus, we're able to stand firm in the Lord. Because of the resurrection, Patrick Gill can stand firm in the Lord, and so can you. Because of the resurrection, we can stand firm in the faith. Because of the resurrection, we can stand our ground in any situation. Because of the resurrection, we can stand together in one spirit. Because of the resurrection, we can stand against the schemes of the devil to separate us from our God. The resurrection, the good news, is both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I close with this prophecy by the great prophet Isaiah. See, this is what the Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, tested at the cross, tested in his life, a precious cornerstone loved by God. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He is the sure foundation for us to stand on. And the one who relies on him will never in life, this life, be stricken with panic, will never be shaken. So I urge you, Don't be moved. Stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he returns on that great day, we will be resurrected into glory with new spiritual bodies, with the Lord forever and ever and ever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more aches, no more pains, no more separation. Stand firm. Stand in the Lord. God bless each and every one of you on this Easter Resurrection Sunday. Let us stand together. And as we have our time of, of response, our prayer teams will be around the building. We just ask you to reflect and to pray because... God has resurrected you if you are His. And on that final day, He will resurrect you in the fullest sense. God bless each one.